following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. This year at Irving Bible Church is all about going deeper into the Bible so that we can go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus. And that's why we've begun the year exploring the story to which the Bible bears witness, the story of God. You see, God's story shows us who God is. And to know God, we must come to see in his story what matters to God, what moves God, how God acts, and what God is after. In this series, we're presenting God's story in eight parts. Week one was creation, that God created the world and us for relationship with him. Week two was the fall, that sin has permeated the world. Last week, week three was election, that God chooses a people for himself and enlists them in his rescue mission in the world. And here, week four, uh, we're going to talk about Exodus. Exodus is a story that opens with God's people enslaved and oppressed in Egypt. But before we talk about Exodus, before we talk about ancient Egypt, I want to talk about another evil empire. That's bent on world domination. I am speaking, of course, of (laughs) Amazon.com. Amazon has changed the world as we know it, right? When I was growing up, a package would come to my house, what, like once a year? And now we get Amazon packages all the time. When that UPS truck would turn onto my street the whole street would start buzzing. And then if that truck stopped in front of my house, you feel the neighbors looking at you like, oh, Mr. Rockefeller, you think you're fancy, huh? Getting a package from some other city brought to our city. Okay. Getting a package used to be an event. And now Amazon sends so many packages, they don't have enough vehicles between Amazon and UPS to deliver them You might get your Amazon package from from a postal carrier. You might get your Amazon package from a guy in a Nissan Altima who doesn't even come to a complete stop as he flings your package out the window toward your front door. Amazon delivers. And Amazon delivers and delivers and delivers. Amazon has changed the world as we know it. And and I think because of that, I think this word delivers has been hijacked. That the whole concept of what it means for something to be delivered has been hijacked. We think that deliver means to bring something to me quickly, conveniently, cheaply. How soon can you bring me what I want? But this is really a hollow, modern, consumerist version of what it means to be delivered. And when the Bible depicts God as a God who delivers, this is not to equate God with Amazon. The Bible has something much deeper in mind. The biblical vision of a God who delivers is hinging on the definition of deliver. That means to rescue, to save, to bring out of danger, to carry away safely. To be delivered is not for something to be brought to us on demand. It's for us to be brought out of danger. And in the story of God, this concept that God delivers his people is essential. 
to knowing God and to knowing ourselves. See, at some point in our lives, we all look around at the intractable mess of the world and the people and the places around us. Then we look inside at the intractable mess of our own hearts and minds and we wonder, what can be done about all this mess? Who or what can deliver us? Can we save ourselves or, or do we really even need to be saved in the first place? The story of God has something to say about these questions. And so we come to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus opens with God's people enslaved and oppressed in Egypt. And the Israelites are held captive by the greatest economic and military superpower in that region of the world at that time in history. And not a single Israelite, not a single Egyptian can imagine that dynamic changing. These captive people, they can't see a pathway to freedom for themselves. They can't uh, put together some sort of strategy for overcoming the injustice that they're suffering. And so we have to ask, is there any hope at all for people who find themselves captured and unable to to pay their own ransom, enslaved and unable to uh, achieve their own freedom, in bondage and unable to make their own escape? And the story of Exodus offers a definitive yes. Is hope for people such as those because God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the one whose story anchors our lives and compels our hearts, is a deliverer. God's story, and particularly the Exodus story, shows us that God delivers his people out of captivity and into identity and proximity. The book of Genesis, which precedes Exodus, ends with Joseph and his extended family finding safety and position in Egypt. But the first few verses of the Exodus story let us know that that things have changed. Joseph, the respected one, is dead and gone, and his descendants continue to prosper and grow in number and filling the land, but as foreigners. And so conflict enters the story in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. The text says that then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And this is where things start to get wild. And look, y'all, the plot of Exodus is wild, okay? The Israelites keep growing. The Egyptian king gets harsher. There's a program of state-sponsored infanticide. An Israelite baby escapes that infanticide and ends up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter and given the name Moses. Moses grows up. He murders an Egyptian. He does a really bad job of covering his tracks because he has not watched as many one-hour crime dramas as the rest of us have. He doesn't know how to... Never mind. Um... He flees out into the wilderness, hides out as a rancher for 40 years. And one day, in a day like any other, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, he comes across a bush that is on fire, but is not being burned up. And it's out of that bush that the audible voice of God enlists him in a rescue mission. 
from the burning bush, we hear God's statement of intent in Exodus chapter three, starting verse seven. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he says to Moses, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. Now we can't miss the implications of what's happening here, that God sees what's going on, that God hears the cry of his suffering people, that God responds by taking action. Now from here, we see Moses's reluctance to go to Pharaoh. We see God's insistence that Moses go to Pharaoh. We see some signs of God's power. We see a little dash of sorcery in Pharaoh's court, and we see Pharaoh's resistance to God's message. And if you think the burning bush was wild, friends, we have not even started to get wild. Because Pharaoh stands opposed to what God says and what God wants, which is never a good idea, God decides that he's going to bring these 10 plagues against Egypt. And God says that he's going to do this so that the Egyptians will know I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And these 10 plagues are these awful and awe-inspiring demonstrations of God's power over and above the power of Egypt's arrogant king, of Egypt's unjust empire, and of Egypt's litany of false gods. Those plagues begin with the Nile River turning to blood. Then there are frogs everywhere. Then there are gnats everywhere. Then there are swarms everywhere, swarms of flies everywhere. I'm not a bug guy. This sounds very unpleasant, just right off the bat, right? Then the Egyptian livestock die. Next, there are festering boils on people and animal. We get the worst hailstorm ever. And we as Texans know the roofers are happy about this, but everyone else is devastated by this. That's followed by swarms of locusts. I'm still not a bug guy. Um, <clears throat> number nine, three days of total and complete darkness, which in a pre-electric world would have been pretty tough. And finally, tragically, the death of the firstborn throughout the land and an event we come to know as the Passover. And it's at this point that Pharaoh decides, fine. He lets the Israelites go and they head out of town. But Pharaoh realizing everything he's lost in losing his free labor force changes his mind and sets out with his army to pursue the objects of his ethnic loathing and his unjust economics. So the Israelites find themselves trapped between uh, the waters of the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh and his pursuing army on the other. But God and his provision parts the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites can cross right through as though on dry land. And once they've all made it out safely uh, and as Pharaoh and his army pursue, God releases his hold on the waters and Pharaoh and his soldiers are swept away into a watery grave. And so that the Pharaoh who at the beginning of Exodus ordered that Hebrew baby boys be drowned in the Nile River finds himself instead drowned in the Red Sea. And in so doing, God has delivered the Israelites out, out of chains, out of slavery, out of the grip of Egypt. 
But the story doesn't end there because God leads his people through the wilderness, providing for their physical needs in miraculous ways. And eventually they come to Mount Sinai where God again meets with Moses and the renewed identity of the Israelites as the people of God is forged through covenant and the Ten Commandments. So that at a very high level is the plot of Exodus. What's the story of Exodus? The story of Exodus is that God delivers his people out of captivity and into identity and proximity. Exodus 19 verses 3 through 6 capture it really well. The text says that then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell to the people of Israel. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So what is God saying here? He's saying, I have delivered you. You are my people. I have delivered you out of captivity into identity and proximity. See, you were slaves there and now you are with me here. You belong to Pharaoh there and now you belong to me here. Now you are a people with a purpose. You're no longer going to be treated as despised and disposable because now I am calling you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God has brought his people out of danger and now they are free. And not just free from tyranny, but free to be who they were created and called to be. Free to be fully human, fully alive, fully known by God and fully committed to living God's way in the world. Israelites are no longer governed by kings and chains. Now they're going to be governed by God through covenant. As we see in Exodus 19, God recalls his delivering work in Egypt, saying, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God recalls his delivering work as the foundation for who he is calling them to be going forward. This is going to be a key theme throughout the scriptures. That the people of God are to remember. People of God are to remember what they have seen so that they can live faithfully in response. Because the story of Exodus, rightly remembered, is not an escape. It's deliverance. It's a rescue. And God wants his people to remember that. So for Israel, remembering God's deliverance, remembering the past rightly is the key to trusting God in the present and following God into the future. And we ought to notice here that freedom from Egypt comes before God gives them the law. God doesn't call Israel to holiness and then set them free. God sets them free and then calls them to holiness. Because God's deliverance is not for the deserving. It's for the desperate and for the dependent. 
See, God delivers us out of captivity and into identity and proximity. By identity, we mean a, a renewed vision of who God is calling his people to be and what they're meant to do. And here in Exodus, we see God defining the identity of his people as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So first, God calls them a kingdom. And it's first and foremost, a kingdom with God as the king, not Pharaoh and not Moses and not any one of them, but God as king. And second, God calls them priests, meaning a people uh, who have a vocation, a people who are to be devoted to the worship and service of God and in serving God to serve God's mission in the world by representing him to all nations. And finally, God calls them a holy nation, a nation. They're a collective, right? As, as Boba Fett says, you can only get so far without a tribe. Few of you watching Boba Fett. So they're a people, a nation in a place who are together, holy, set apart for God's purposes and committed to God's ways, distinct from the surrounding nations, right? Where idolatry and injustice rule the day. But they are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And because true identity is not just a label, but it's lived, it's embodied. God gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them a law. He gives them a teaching. He gives them a framework that this is what it looks like to love God and to love your neighbors. This is what it looks like to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But here God is calling Israel to be a people who love God's justice and act, God, uh, act justly toward other people because God has delivered them from Pharaoh's injustice. And God's calling Israel to be a people who are singularly devoted to God because God delivered them from an empire that bent its knee and, and, and bowed its heart to uh, false gods. And God's calling Israel to be a people who respond in faith and faithfulness to God's commandments because God has proven to be faithful to them. Now, if that's God's intention for his people uh, in the Exodus story, are we to leave that in the past? Are we to leave that in the Exodus story? Or might that be a potent vision for what it means to be the church to see who God showed himself to be in the Exodus, God still is. It's not as though we remember the Exodus today because a long time ago, God delivered somebody else. We remember the Exodus today because God has been, God is, and God ever will be the deliverer of his people. That God's story doesn't just show us something he did, it shows us who he is. That God is our creator. That God is our father. That God is our redeemer. That God is our deliverer. And one of the key convictions of the scriptures is that those who have seen and come to know who God is, those who have experienced the delivering power of God should not forget it. That we should remember. And yet we are prone to forget, right? Uh, I, I am prone to forget. And I can remember all kinds of trivia, useless trivia, uh, about movies and music and TV shows and sports 
in world history, but I tend to forget what matters most. When life gets difficult and things get sideways, I, 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 I forget. I can begin to believe that maybe I need to save myself. Maybe I need to prove myself. Maybe I need to justify myself or establish myself in some way. I can, maybe I start to believe the cultural stories about how someone or something else can save me, can, can justify me, can, can prove me, can, can establish me. When the reality is that God has already done that. God has already delivered me out of captivity and into identity and proximity. I am prone to forget. I think we are prone to forget. And this is why throughout the centuries that God's people have ordered their lives around practices that help them remember. Practices like worship and scripture and prayer and community and mission. Practices that help them remember who God is and what God has done and who we are as a result. These kind of practices, um, they shape us into what God has called us to be. They shape us into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In outlining this series, Barry noted that, that Exodus becomes the biblical paradigm for salvation and identity formation. That God graciously liberates his people, gives them a new identity and calling, and calls them to live a new and set apart way of life in response to his grace. The biblical paradigm for salvation and identity formation. This is why we hear echoes of the Exodus story in the Jesus story. This is why Jesus declared that he had come to proclaim freedom for captives, to set the oppressed free, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Exodus story is about God's deliverance of God's people, and it's this delivering God who sends Jesus. Remember what the angel told Joseph about the baby that was growing in Mary's womb in Matthew chapter 1. The angel said to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. That the name of Jesus is God delivers. In Jesus, God delivers his people from captivity and into identity and proximity. See, the Israelites are not the only ones who need to be delivered. And unfortunately, Pharaoh is not the only one who resists God's power and, and, and command. Each of us needs to be delivered. And at times, each of us resists God's power and reign. But the good news of Exodus and the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that God's deliverance is not for the deserving. It's for the desperate and the dependent. We can't remedy the mess that we find out there or in here. We can't deliver ourselves out of captivity for sin. We can't carve out for ourselves an identity that will satisfy, but we don't have to. Because that's what Jesus does on our behalf. In Romans chapter six, the apostle Paul says it this way. He says, we were therefore buried with him, meaning Jesus, through baptism into death. 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That anyone who has died has been set free from sin because through Christ, God delivers his people out of captivity. That we might live with him because through Jesus, God delivers his people into identity and proximity. To live with him, that is the essence of of proximity. That is the essence of nearness. In the first couple of chapters, um, the name of God's not mentioned. God appears to be absent from what's happening there in Egypt. And the text even says that the, the cries of the oppressed go up to God. They reach God and that God comes down to intervene. That's how Exodus begins with this sense of God's apparent distance. But Exodus ends with God moving with his people and dwelling in their midst as they journey through the wilderness in this structure called the tabernacle, that God's presence goes with them. It's not that God was truly absent to begin with. It's just that in the course of the story that God has become so powerfully and demonstrably near to them. And likewise, the gospel of John describes the birth of of Jesus as the word of God becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. That the God who inclines his ear toward his oppressed people, the God who is gracious and compassionate and moves to deliver his captive people, the God who delivered his people out of empire and into covenant is the God who sent Jesus into history to take on flesh and proclaim that the kingdom of God had come near and deliver his people from the chains of sin and death and into new life as the body of Christ in the world. This is a new exodus in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to deliver us out of captivity and into identity and proximity. And today, as we hear the exodus story, we must each consider where we are in relation to the God who delivers. Do you find yourself captive today? Do you find yourself stuck? Do you find yourself trying and failing and flailing against the power of broken desires and destructive patterns? Do you find yourself in need of rescue, needing to be saved, yearning to be brought into security, longing to be carried away safe by the God who carried the Israelites out of Egypt? You can call on him today, even now, because God delivers his people out of captivity. Psalm 70 verse 5 gives us simple words that we can use as our own. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. See, God's 
power, the same power that wrought the plagues and parted the seas and overcame Pharaoh, the same power that delivered the Israelites out of captivity and into identity and proximity, the same power on display in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is that power is sufficient to set you free from slavery to sin. God's power is sufficient to give you a new identity as his child and give you a part to play in his mission to rescue and renew the world. And maybe you find yourself today struggling to live out and live in that true identity uh, as a child of God. Maybe you find yourself prone to forget, prone to drifting from who God is, to drifting from what God has done, to drifting from who God says you are. The scriptures call us to remember God's goodness and grace on display in God's story. To remember the God who delivers and calls and guides and provides and forgives and restores. Because Jesus said, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Scriptures call us to remember and as we remember to worship. In Exodus 15, we see the people of Israel who have crossed out of Egypt through the Red Sea and are standing on the other side and they raise this song of praise, this song of victory to God, to their deliverer. And verse two of Exodus 15 gives us some simple words that we can use as our own. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. You see, God delivers his people out of captivity and into identity and proximity. He has become our salvation. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.